Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Our Declaration of Independence states unequivocally that we hold certain truths to be self-evident, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights and that these rights are to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our pursuit of happiness is being eroded because our liberty has been infringed upon in recent years. For example, in 2020, abortion clinics remained open during the pandemic while places of worship were closed. When we are not free to pursue timeless truths, which are fundamental to our pursuit of happiness, we are not truly free. When some members of the human family are not even free to live, the notion of liberty is irrelevant. We must always seek legal remedies rooted in truth to fight against unjust laws. Today you will hear part one of my recent interview with attorney and executive director of Massachusetts Citizens for Life, Patricia Stewart, about her attempts on behalf of MCFL to fight unjust laws regarding abortion. Let us first, as always, begin with prayer. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer. Prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy. Prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls. Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life? O God, your servant, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., stated in his letter from a Birmingham jail, that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. He continued that he would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. He added that he would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Lord, help us to always advocate for laws that are just and to have the moral courage to fight those that are not. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And now, here is part one of my interview with MCFL Executive Director Pat Stewart. Joining me now is Patricia Stewart, attorney at law and executive director of Massachusetts Citizens for Life. Pat has uh, previously been on this show when we discussed most medical orders for life-sustaining treatment. And we discussed its dangers um, as an end-of-life document. And uh, we discussed the better option of uh, having a health care proxy make decisions in the event that uh, a patient is unable to. We also discussed her very helpful booklet called the Healthcare Decision Guide for Catholics, which is currently undergoing revision, and I hope to have Pat on at a, at a later date uh, to discuss this uh, some more um, when the next edition is uh, complete. So, welcome again, Pat. Thank you, Mark. I'm delighted to join you. Thank you again for taking this time. You're, you're very busy with... Uh, with legislation and other issues related to being the executive director of, of Mass Citizens for Life. Last time we did talk about end-of-life things, and uh, today we're going to be talking about more the uh, beginning of life, which is mostly what MCFL has been about over the years. And specifically, it's to MCFL exists to advance the cause of life and to protect life from conception to natural death, and um, you recently, on behalf of MCFL, submitted uh, five bills that uh, addresses different aspects of abortion. I'll just rattle these off quickly, and and then we can kind of go over them more slowly. Uh, the bills that you introduced, uh, the, the first is called an Act Relative to Unborn Victims of Violence. And the second is uh, an act to establish criteria to assess the maturity of a minor seeking abortion. The third is uh, an act relative to unborn victims of Down syndrome, and there's already been a hearing on that one. Uh, The fourth is uh, an act relative to taxation, otherwise known as the Taxpayer Conscience uh, Protection. And then the fifth one that you filed is uh, an act relative to instruction in pregnancy and prenatal care and actually getting the schools to talk about uh, prenatal development. So it's a very ambitious um, agenda. Some of these have been heard and some of them have not. And there's also one other bill that we could talk about, which was submitted by the opposition. Uh, Senator Jason Lewis was actually the author of this bill which is to try to get colleges to dispense the abortion pill, which is particularly outrageous. MCFL will be, will be and has already been fighting that, and both uh, you and I uh, testified uh, at a hearing uh, earlier this summer. Just to back up, the, the Roe Act, which people may remember, was jammed through by the Massachusetts legislature at the end of last year, because, and this basically tries to codify or put into state law what Roe v. Wade has done nationally. And the reason they're, they're doing this, I think, is because they expect Roe v. Wade to be uh, overturned. This, this case, this Mississippi case, Dobbs versus uh, 
uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization, is going to go to the Supreme Court. Roe v. Wade may be overturned, but if it does, it'll just go back to the states, and Massachusetts will be kind of in the same situation, uh, which was made uh, a reality by this uh, by passing the Roe Act. So I, I wonder if if you can just briefly give your thoughts about my thoughts and and you know a little bit about the Roe Act and uh, uh, maybe a little bit about the the Dobbs case and how the bills that you submitted is is intended to start uh, chipping away at this. Well, I absolutely agree with your analysis, Mark. The the case in Mississippi involves a statute that limited abortion after 15 weeks. Mm-hmm. However, the issue is whether that was constitutional, because under Roe v. Wade, it allows states to regulate abortions only after viability, after the point when the baby can survive outside the womb, mm-hmm. which is customarily considered to be at about 24 weeks. So the challengers to the Mississippi statute are looking for the Supreme Court to say limiting abortion after just 15 weeks is therefore unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. Um, What the Supreme Court will do, we don't know, but if the Supreme Court decides to overrule Roe and use this case as the vehicle for that, it will not have any impact in Massachusetts at all because the um, question of abortion and abortion regulations will be still in the hands of the states. Right. And as you mentioned, having the Roe Act enacted this past January um, is firmly entrenched now in Massachusetts law, statutory law, and we're stuck with it until we can chip away at some of its provisions and um, at some of the activity that surrounds the whole abortion uh, experience in the state, and that's the purpose for which we filed our several pieces of legislation uh, to try to take an incremental approach right. at attacking abortion in the state. Uh, as you, your listeners may recall, under the Roe Act, it basically legalized infanticide by removing a provision of state law which mandated that physicians who performed an abortion attempt to save the life of an abortion survivor. The mm-hmm. child who survived an abortion had to have his life or her life preserved to the extent possible. The Roe Act removed that requirement and merely said that there had to be life-saving equipment in the room where the abortion was performed. Yeah. But it did not say it had to be used. Yeah. Another thing the Roe Act did was lower the age of consent for abortion from 18-year-olds to 16-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And that allows a young person of 16 or 17 now to go in and get an abortion without parental consent. Yeah. A midwife can perform abortions now under Roe, and that late-term abortions in the third trimester no longer have to be performed in a hospital. Yep. They can be performed in a doctor's office or a clinic. Yeah. So there's major features of that act that are very dangerous and undesirable. Yeah, very dangerous. Yeah, we do. so we, we have the specter now of a woman going into a clinic where they already have uh, emergencies uh, occur when they're doing first or, or second trimester, and now they're going to be even able to do third trimester abortions in a clinic outside the hospital, and that'll create uh, even more of a disaster. Plus, they, the, uh, 
The thing that, that really is egregious is, as I read over this again, we are one of only seven countries in the world, out of about 200 countries in the world, only seven allow abortion after 20 weeks. And so we are in the company of China, North Korea, Vietnam, Singapore, the Netherlands, where they're, they're kind of, they specialize in death. They've been doing a physician-assisted suicide since the 70s. And then really, unbelievably, Canada not only does assisted suicide, including assisted suicide for psychiatric patients, but they also, like the United States, allow abortion uh, into the third uh, uh, trimester. It's disgraceful. I mean, with the exception of Canada, which is the most disturbing event that they should have come as far as I have with abortion, we are otherwise in the company of countries with the worst human rights records yeah. in the world. It's amazing to think that we've, uh, we've sunk this, this low uh, in, in so many respects. But anyway, it's, uh, I'm glad that you, on behalf of uh, Mass Citizens for Life, are, are attempting to, um, to chip away at this and, as you say, take an incremental uh, approach. So that gets us, uh, we'll go back to the beginning and the, the, the first bill uh, that you uh, filed with the Massachusetts legislature is House Bill 1535, and it's uh, an act relative to unborn victims of violence. So could you say something about that bill? Sure. This uh, bill is, re is a response to studies that show that trauma causes more deaths of pregnant women than any other medical complication of pregnancy. Mm. And this can happen as a result of gunshot wounds or stabbings, motor vehicle accidents, strangulation, blunt head injuries, burns, that um, result in a death of the mother. And that mother's death also results in the death of her fetus, her, mm -hmm. un her de developing child as if there's a blunt trauma to her abdomen. Most of these deaths of the unborn occur early in pregnancy, before viability, in other words, before 24 weeks. And that 24-week limit is getting lower and lower with advances in medicine and science. So it's kind of a, a flexible guideline. Currently, at least 29 states have fetal homicide laws that apply to the earliest phases of pregnancy, and, and effectively recognizing there's two victims of a um, criminal event that causes the death of the mother and the death of the unborn child. Massachusetts recognizes only viable unborn baby as a victim of violence if it's a vehicular homicide case or involuntary manslaughter. It does not recognize an unborn child as a victim of violence at earlier stages of prenatal development, yeah. which, as I said, is when we know most of these fetal deaths occur. Yeah. So in order to address that omission, um, this House Bill 1535 defines an unborn child as, quote, the individual human life in existence and developing from conception to natural adult death and declares a, a string of crimes um, to be punishable by fine or imprisonment or both if it also causes the death of, or injury of an unborn child. Yeah, because it kills uh, two human beings, not just the mother, but the human being who's no less human 
at uh, you know 15 weeks than at uh, 24 weeks. Exactly. So uh, as as you'll see in in these other bills as well, the the objective is to remind people of the humanity of the unborn child right, right. and um, to get away from this sense that this is just a clump of cells yep. with no essence, no soul, and no right to, li- to life if something happens uh, untoward or by intention through abortion right. to, to end that life. Yeah, so the, again, the, the, the law is a, good, is a great teacher, and uh, to have, have these uh, bills submitted, even if it doesn't, even if they're not uh, initially successful, it raises awareness uh, to the public. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a vehicle for us to educate people right. that this issue is there and to raise consciousness about it. And again, as, as I say, to, to remind people of the humanity yeah. of the unborn child. One, one thing it does for me is that, uh, or one thing that comes to mind when I read through this, is that when we talk about reproductive rights and women's health care, and uh, abortion, so-called abortion rights are supposed to be good for women. But actually, this is just one example of, about how it's bad for women. Often, you, you read about from time to time about the, the father who wants the girlfriend to uh, get an abortion, and they won't do it. And they are, they are kind women are kind of expected to sort of get rid of the problem, and when they don't follow through, when women don't follow through with the abortion, they are often assaulted. And uh, right. that's, that's one way that this law will, uh, well, this bill will come into effect. It'll, it makes, there, there are consequences to assaulting your girlfriend and also causing the end of the life of the unborn. Exactly. Now, there hasn't been a hearing on that one yet. No, that... Um that bill is before the Joint Committee on the Judiciary, and it was only accepting written testimony. I did submit written testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has not been given a, a in-person or a virtual hearing of by uh, the to which the public can participate. But also, I'm not sure we will get a hearing on that because it was a bill that was previously filed in 2015, and as I understand the rules of the House of Representatives in Massachusetts. Initial and new, newly filed bills are required to get a hearing. If a bill has been previously filed, and not, and even if it hasn't gotten a hearing, it's not necessarily going to get a hearing a second time around. Yeah, so yeah. Um, the fact that we were able to submit written testimony may be as far as we'll get. Yeah, if yeah. your listeners would like to know the names of the members of the committee who may be their own representative or senator, I can give them the names real quickly. The Senate members of the committee are James Eldridge, Eric Lesser, Sonia Chang-Diaz, Cynthia Stone-Cream, John Vellis, and Patrick O'Connor. And the mm-hmm. representatives on the committee are Michael Day, China Tyler, Christopher Hendricks, Susanna Whips, Colleen Gary, John Santiago, Brandy Fluker-Oakley, Adam Scanlon, Jay Livingstone, Sheila Harrington, and Allison Sullivan. Yeah, that's... That's good information. So, so listeners can contact those individuals as well as their own representative and just speak out. That's one reason why it's so good to have the Mass Citizens for Life website because if you just go to uh, masscitizensforlife.org, as soon as you get on the website, you see these five uh, pro-life uh, bills 
and uh, it it goes over uh, each one in in very fine uh, detail without getting into the weeds but it really tells you what's going on and and uh, so we have to make our voices heard and and uh, call the legislature uh, whether or not it has a hearing and and uh, speak out so uh, that brings us to the second bill that you filed which was uh, which is an act to establish criteria to assess maturity of a minor seeking abortion and also to uh, make provisions in terms of uh, record keeping as far as assessing the maturity of a minor. Can you um, go over uh, that bill? Surely. This has um, a connection both to the Roe Act and to what you just uh, mentioned, Mark, about making your voices heard. As uh, listeners may recall, I mentioned that under the Roe Act, it had basically legalized infanticide by removing a safeguard in prior law that required life-saving care for every baby born alive, and or every every child, and uh, even the uh, one who survived an abortion. I failed to mention that, in respect to that. A petition drive is taking place mm. in Massachusetts starting this fall mm-hmm. to enact a law to preserve the life of children born alive, and it simply states that notwithstanding any general or special law to the contrary, if a child is born alive, all reasonable steps in keeping with good medical practice shall be taken to preserve the life of the child born alive. Right. If people would like to get involved in helping to get signatures for these petitions, they can email me at pstewart at masscitizensforlife.org, mm-hmm. and I will get them involved with the committee mm-hmm. that is managing the petition drive. Mm. Then, in, in further connection to the Roe Act, the Act to Establish Criteria to Assess Maturity of a Minor Seeking Abortion is directly related to the lowering of the age at which a minor can obtain an abortion without parental consent. It's now um, 16. For a minor under the age of 16 who is not married or divorced or widowed, and wants an abortion, if she can't get the consent of at least one parent, she has to apply to a superior court to obtain the consent of a judge. Mm-hmm. And this process of, of applying for a judge's consent is known as the judicial bypass procedure. Mm-hmm. Under con- current uh, law, the procedure is not does not give a judge any standards to follow yeah. in assessing whether a minor is mature or immature to make this decision. What this House Bill 1534 does is fill this void by providing criteria for a judge to apply to determine whether a pregnant minor is mature enough to decide to mm-hmm. have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, this criteria are based on a test for measuring adolescent maturation developed by the National Association of Therapeutic Schools and Programs, and it identifies three categories for measuring maturity in adolescence, which is empathy, planfulness, and moral reasoning. Mm-hmm. The more a minor conforms to these criteria, the greater her maturity. Requiring judges to, in the judicial process to apply these factors will reduce speculation and make consistency in these kinds of decision-making by the courts. Mm-hmm. And it also, as you mentioned, there's a record-keeping component, which will enhance and 
transparency, which right. we do not have now. We really don't know how many of these petitions are heard. Mm-hmm. We don't know how many are granted, although we have estimates that it's up to 90% of these petitions are actually granted by judges. Yeah. So it would require the judge to make that information available, the number of petitions granted, the number that denied, the age of the applicants, and to make a report of this to the Commissioner of Public Health every mm-hmm. year. One reason I like it, it, it holds judges' feet to the fire. Right now, they kind of do this under the cloak of uh, darkness, and they don't have to explain anything. They just have to say, oh, yeah, I think this person is uh, mature, and then lets them have an abortion. Well, now this would make them spell it out. Why do they think, it's, uh, why do they think this person is mature? And to begin with, to, to think that a 14- or 15-year-old is mature enough to, to to make the decision about ending the life of her of her child is, is to me is kind of absurd to begin with but at least it uh, it like you say it's uh, it, it forces uh, transparency and um, makes judges spell it out why do they think this person is mature exactly and they say there's a uh, hopefully enhance it will improve consistency in these decisions. Mm-hmm. If Judge A is deciding that um, this kid looks okay physically and looks like they're together, and Judge B, looking at the same kid, would come to a different determination using his own standard of assessing maturity. If they have guidelines that they are required to follow and they're all the same for every case, then hopefully judges would come to similar conclusions with respect to some of these applicants. It's hard to believe that young teenagers... of them are mature enough to make these types of really life-and-death decisions. Right. This concludes Part 1 of my interview with Pat Stewart, Executive Director of Massachusetts Citizens for Life. At a time when many states across the country are passing laws to protect unborn babies and their mothers, Massachusetts is moving in the opposite direction. Our so-called progressive legislature wants the killing of the unborn to be legal for any reason at any gestational age up to the moment of birth and even after birth if the baby is accidentally born alive. This is not progressive. This is very regressive indeed, and reminiscent of bygone cultures which engaged in the practice, the barbaric practice of child sacrifice. Tune in next time when we will continue to discuss additional pro-life bills which have been submitted on behalf of Massachusetts Citizens for Life which seek to reverse this horrific barbarism. Until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First, do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo, is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley, 
Fitchburg, we are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rolo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrolo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.